Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Bits of Gold, episode 112. Today's episode is all about living life on your terms and doing cool shit. Welcome back to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you are new to Bits of Gold, first off, welcome. I'm so glad you were here. Second, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. More subscribers help attract more amazing guests to help better serve you with amazing content on how to live with purpose. Now let's get to it. So much of the content that I make here is aimed to help inspire you to live your life with more purpose, to help you wake up and recognize that you too are going to die, that your life is not forever, that tomorrow is certainly not guaranteed, and that all we have is the here and now. It's my goal to help you recognize that your time on this earth is limited. And through knowing this, it's critical to decide what you want in your life. And once you do, to pursue those things full throttle, to not waddle through life, to choose with intention what you want your life to be, how you want to spend your waking hours of your life, and to actually come alive, to wake up jumping out of bed so excited about the cool shit that you are about to do today and every day. When each of us wake up, I truly believe we have choices to make. Do we want to live today on our terms? Do we want to live today doing the things that we are about to do? I believe we all have choices we can make to align our life to do more and more of the things we want and less and less of the things we don't want. Sure, not overnight, but certainly over time. And I know it's not as simple as I'm saying, I know you can't just snap your fingers and start doing only the things you want and never ever do the things that you don't want ever again. You know, I know it's not that simple, but I am confident that the result of our life is often the result of the choices and the decisions that we make. I know that you can be intentional with how and where you spend your time to start living more and more of a life that you want. You really can, and that's exactly what we're talking about on this episode today. Today, my guest is Mickey Agarwal. Mickey is a serial entrepreneur and founder of Thinks, Hello Tushy, an innovative bidet brand, Wild, a gluten-free pizzeria, author of Disruptor, a manifesto for the modern woman, and Do Cool Shit, Quit Your Day Job, Start Your Own Business, and Live Happily Ever After. Collectively, your companies are valued at over $150 million. Mickey's entrepreneurial journey is incredible, but life wasn't always that way for Mickey. At 22 years old, she was actually working as an investment banker, and she had this wake-up call following 9-11. Days after, everything changed. She felt her mortality and needed to live each day like it was her last. She had to follow her passions and not waste another day not fully living. So she wrote down three things she wanted to do in her life and pursued them one by one. Today's bit of gold is that it is truly possible to live life on your own terms, to embrace and harness your limited time on earth, and to live and become fully alive doing the cool shit that you want. And now let's welcome Mickey Agarwal to the show. Mickey, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Oh my God, me too. Nice to connect. It's wild to connect because I met you years ago. Like, I feel like it was kind of when Tushy had first gotten started and obviously, you know, so much has, the business has really like evolved and grown since then. But 
I'm excited to dive in today because I feel like when I connected with you then, we were talking about product manufacturing and things of that nature. And today we're going to dive a whole lot deeper into living a life of purpose. And I know it's been a while since we last connected, but the premise for me starting the show was the catalyst for it was both my parents passed away by the time I turned 25 years old. And it's my mission. It's why I wake up in the morning is to help inspire other people to live knowing that they too are going to die. And I actually remember when I met you, you were telling me about, I guess it became an art project, but holy shit, we're alive. And maybe that's just where we could start start this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So in 2016, we were at my at a place upstate New York, not actually not far from here. And we all did this like sound journey where everyone took MDMA and psilocybin at the same time, blindfolded, we were blindfolded. And then this incredible ethnomusicologist led us on this sound journey for like eight hours. <laughs> wow. In the middle of the journey, my husband gets up and he goes, we're alive. <laughs> Like, we're alive. And we're like, holy shit, we're alive. And everyone was like, oh my God, we're alive. Like, this is crazy. Like, the miracle of being alive is the, like, it was just like, it hit everyone at the same time. Like, this is truly, like, you can't make up the miracle of, like, being alive thing. <laughs> and so, like, it just, like we forget, we so forget that we get to wake up every day. It's like, it is the miracle of, of life is be, being able to wake up every morning and being like, ding, like I get to just eat delicious food that could probably taste like gasoline, but instead it tastes like delicious and my palate can love it. And I can like feel pleasure and like experience delight for my eyes and like, oh my God, create for my brain and like fall in love and feel things with my heart. and like you know, like jump on a plane and travel somewhere and like all the things just like we get to do that. And like, we forget how freaking lucky we are that we get to do that. And oftentimes when we take mushrooms and do these ceremonies or, I mean, now we create an art project, actually, if you go to holy shit, we're <laughs> you can actually get like a, like a cool, like hat or like sweatshirt or mug or a notebook where it says, holy shit, we're alive on each page of the notebook. Because it's like, you know, as you're, I journal, these are my journal books. As I'm writing, it's like, if I'm like, oh, this shitty thing happened. And you're like, oh my God, in the middle of every page, it says, holy shit, we're alive. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, fuck, this is awesome. You know? So yeah, that's it. A hundred percent. Yeah, it really is. I mean, use the word lucky, but it really is. I have like a small gratitude practice and a gratitude journal that I write in every morning. And every day I write, I'm grateful for my health, my safety, and being alive. Like the miracle of getting to wake up and have my health, have my safety, and have an able body where I'm able to experience all the joys of life. Like how fucking lucky am I? I also think about the pains of life, right? Like mm -hmm. it's like you think about what you went through with your parents and like that, the sadness and the grief, you know? And it's like, I think about the challenging fucked up things I've experienced in my life. And I'm just like, wow, you know, it's like the famous William Wordsworth quote, which is one of my favorites. And I'm going to paraphrase. It's like my favorite quote, but it's so long. He basically says something like, I want to skid to death's door sideways, not in a well-preserved body, thoroughly used up, 
loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride, you know? And so the idea that like, we get to feel like the heights of joy and the depths of sadness, like the magic of being alive and like the pains and agony and despair of being alive, like all of that textured, texturedness is what makes the being aliveness so poignant, so beautiful. You can't actually experience incredible highs. We haven't experienced the depths of lows either. And so there's this like stretching that we have to do to feel everything before we die. And I think only the most brave really let themselves go to the darkest parts, actually. I love that. I got chills as you're paraphrasing that quote. (laughs) Was that your first time taking, what was the combination, MDMA and psilocybin together? Yeah, my first, of course, my first time. Yeah, I don't. It's like I'm, like, I'm no druggie, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a, a really remarkable experience of trust. Of just like, okay, like you know, I'm going to take these two things. Like one, I, I mean, I know about each one of them. One of them like releases, you know, serotonin in the brain and and allows you to feel a lot of love. And MDMA assisted therapy now is like a deeply, deeply well researched practice in therapeutics and in psychology to really get people who have experienced trauma to find love again in their heart. So that's number one. The psilocybin, I mean, we all know like the level of transformation that it has for people who've experienced challenging things or who want to experience the actual miracle of being alive. And so having those two experiences together while listening to like different, just incredible sounds of music is truly a remarkable experience. Were there any other takeaways or, I mean, obviously yeah. you came out with a big one, you started a whole like art project from it after, but was there any, any other big takeaways that came as a result of that experience? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, it's totally random, but like when I had a, one of my closest girlfriends was there and she turned into an angel and my husband was there too. And I basically like proposed to her, my girlfriend, I mean, like as like a friendship love, you know, and, and she said, yes, that I have a <laughs> wife and a husband basically, but like, you know, like, you know, it, the wife spiritually. So, I mean, yeah, I think people, people transform. Like I experienced, like I experienced people as their deepest essence, which was really, really cool. Like, I feel like now when I take psilocybin, which is very, I probably take psilocybin. I mean, I didn't do it for three years. I, I took it once this year. I could see people's auras. It's kind of this weird thing, like where people kind of, I can feel their spirit and see their spirit come out, which just sounds super hokey and weird. But anyways, some people turn very angelic and some people turn very ghoul-like and their shadow comes out versus people's kind of light. And so it's very interesting for me to see kind of the different spectrums of people that I see. When you do that, are you are you doing like a microdose, a hero's dose? Because I'm assuming, you know, you're doing it all in... um all in like a structured setting where, you know, there's like intention behind you doing it. Like I've, I've honestly only done yeah. it recreationally, but I am very int- intrigued and interested in, like, I feel like using psychedelics, there's obviously tons of data at this point, but sort of like peeling the layers of an onion back and you're just able to go to a place that you can't physically get to with, without the use of. Unless breath work. I don't know if you've done deep breath work, but breath work, can get me to major psychedelic, like a DMT type experience where it's just, it can actually just your breath. And you have to go like, like in, in, out, in, in, out. And I would highly recommend people, you know, do this with some, and your, your hands kind of turn into claws, but then they eventually like normalize. But it's a very, very powerful, powerful practice without any substances. You can just use your breath 
to take. I mean, I've had major psychedelic experiences on just my breath. Oh, wow. So I would look into breath work. It's, it's wild. It's a wild thing. So just to go backwards, though, um, you know, obviously you have, you have a very entrepreneurial story. Maybe you could just give everyone like a 30 second highlight of you, your background, and then we'll jump in further from there. Oh, okay, sure. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> I am a half Japanese, half Indian, French Canadian, identical twin, Irish triplet, who grew up in Montreal, Canada. And yeah, I grew up with four cultures. My mother is from Japan. My father is from India. I grew up in French Montreal, like the Frenchest part of Montreal, Brassard. And I'm like, like I'm an identical twin. My third sister's 11 months older. So we grew up in a very, very multicultural mosaic of cultures in Canada, where my, my high school and my elementary school had every culture, every ethnicity, every religion, every, every type of everything in my schools. And so I grew up really accepting and loving everyone for who they were and not kind of the melting pot that is kind of seen as American, like America first before your other cultures come in. Whereas in Canada, it's like I'm, you know, Indian Canadian or I am Japanese Canadian or, or things like that. So I, I think, you know, early on, I was just given a lot of permission to kind of see things from different perspectives without just having one. And I think that kind of lent itself down the road to becoming an entrepreneur where you have to look at things differently to start something different, you know, otherwise you're just doing more of the same. And I think entrepreneurship is a lot of creativity and a lot of permission to try something new and different. And I think one way to flex that is to be given the permission to ask questions and be like, huh, or to be like, well, from this perspective, this is what they're saying. And from that perspective, this is what this is. And this is from this. So like from different cultures, from different languages, from different races, from different ages, from different, you know, like walks of life, just in my household. There was always multiple perspectives and always a healthy debate around what's the best or what's the most efficient or what's the most thoughtful or what's whatever, you know? So I think I just grew up a lot of healthy debate in a very multicultural town, in a very multicultural family. And also where I had a twin and a third sister's 11 months older, where we, got, we were super tight siblings, we are, we got to really champion each other, you know, in our lives and cheerlead each other into like what we're doing. For example, my twin sister right now has a really epic company called Daybreaker, and it's like an early morning dance movement before work starts. And it's in 30 cities around the world, and people wake up and dance before work starts. And it's sober, it's in the morning, and it's like 500,000 people in the community. It's amazing. And I think like, had she not had someone being like, oh my God, that's the best idea I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, go do, I'm going to be your biggest ticket, you know, purchaser or whatever, you know, for each other, we were always like, loving each other's ideas and championing them and celebrating them. And I think anyone who has a buddy who champions and, and like super encourages the other person to go do the thing and they'll be your, their number one like fanboy or fangirl, I think is, is such a, an important thing in life. And I think my parents were that for us. And I think my sisters have been that for me. And, and growing up in a cultural town, a multicultural town has really lent itself to being very entrepreneurial just by nature. That makes sense. Would you say your parents influenced you to pursue entrepreneurship, pursue the creation of businesses, or was it more the other route, like play it safe, get a job? Well, it's interesting because my dad's entire side of the family is all entrepreneurs, but like, you know, small business owners in India, like, you know, and then built, you know, also salaried men and like worked in engineers, doctors, things like that, very Indian. And my Japanese side, also all business people. 
But my father definitely was like, Mickey, the heart surgeon, Radha, the orthopedic surgeon, and Yuri, the brain surgeon, you know? <laughs> and so we grew up with like my parents, like my dad wanting us to be doctors. But then I found out only recently that he's always had a dream of being truly being an entrepreneur, but he grew up as he was an engineer his entire career working for different big companies. He had three kids early. He ha- he didn't have a chance to really leap without having to put food on the table for us. And so I do appreciate kind of the level of sacrifice that he had to make to kind of be a salaried man. But then also within the company, he always kind of, you know, fucked shit up and caused a lot of ruckus and also also create a lot of patents himself inside inside of the organization. So that's an entrepreneur. He was very entrepreneurial. I know that you started your career, your first job out of school was you went into investment banking. You have this aha moment where you said, this is it. I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to go for it. Because obviously going from investment banking to, or there's like a lot of certainty, steady career trajectory in terms of ability to make, you know, tons of money into entrepreneurship where it's like the road of the unknown path. What made you take that leap? Man, 9-11 was the, was the big story for me that really be, that kind of was the fast track to, holy shit, we're alive. I got to chase my dreams now. I was working at Deutsche Bank in right across the Two World Trade Center in 2001. That was when I first started as a 22-year-old. It was sort of like, yeah, like did the, it was going to go the investment banking route because it was a big money-making thing, but I really hated my job and I really wanted to do other things like be a soccer, professional soccer player. And that came after 9-11. So 9-11 happened and it was my subway stop every single morning. I was supposed to be there on that day when the planes hit the World Trade Centers. And I would get off the two World Trade Center subway stop. I would walk upstairs, get tea with my girlfriend who worked on the 100th floor at two World Trade. We would, I would walk across the street to my office and she would go to the 100th floor and work there. So 9-11 happened and on that day, 700 people in her office died. And on that day, two people in my office died. And it was the first and only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. And that was sort of like the big wake up call for me. I remember waking up that morning and just being like, oh my God, I'm late for my job. Like this is, I just started, like I'm terrible. And so I was like trying to call a car service to kind of pick me up because at the time there's no Ubers, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like get to the office and they just kept, first of all, I was busy the whole time. And finally someone answered and they're like, turn your TV on and click. And it was sort of like, turn my TV on, like out of context. You're like, wait, what? Like I should get the office. But then no one was picking up. So I just turned the TV on. It was like, holy shit. I was supposed to be there. I checked my phone. Eventually I had hundreds of missed calls and people were like freaking out looking for me. And so it was that big aha moment where I was like, holy shit, the mystery of life is that you never know when it's going to end. You know, and the time was absolutely now to make every moment count. And I was lucky enough to be 22 and not 32, 42, or 52, or 62, or 72 to have this wake up moment. I was 22 and I was like, I've got to chase my aliveness right now. And so that's when I was like, okay, let me write down three things I want to do with my life. The first thing was to play soccer professionally. The second thing was to make movies. And the third was to start a business. And then that's kind of, that started my whole, whole journey. What was the first business that you ended up pursuing? First was trying out for the New York Magic soccer team. And so I tried out for the New York Magic and I would sneak out of my investment banking job and like put on my like shin guards and my soccer tryout uniform. I would stretch in the back of the car and I would go to the tryouts where there was like a hundred D1 athletes, other D1 athletes, like were training all like week, you know, what I would just go after, you know, I would sneak out of my office twice a week to go to the tryouts for the New York Magic. And every single week, the coach would like cut people and cut people. And every week I kept making the list and kept making the list and kept making the list. 
for two and a half months, I made the list and they cut everyone. It was down to the last starting lineup. They were like announcing the starting lineup and I checked the board and there I was starting lineup of the New York Magic. So I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to quit my job. Like I'm going to go become a soccer star. Like this is going to be epic. And then I was like, before I quit my job, let me just play my first game of the season and see what happens, you know? And so I played the first game and I remember the referee blew his whistle, you know, I got the ball, like he handed it over to me. I dribbled the ball, like passed like two defenders, crossed the ball. And then like the striker put it in the back of the net within the first like eight minutes I had my first goal, my first assist of like my professional career. But as I crossed the ball, the defender came and took out my leg and I heard the telltale snap and I tore my ACL. Oh my God in the first game of my season after spending two and a half months digging out of my investment banking job, trying out, convincing the driver from the bank to take me to the tryout, wait for me for three hours, take me back to the bank. I worked till midnight to finish my job. And I would do that twice a week for two and a half months to make, and then like made the team. And it was like a whole thing. And then first game, eight minutes, I was done. So yeah, that was a moment of like, <sighs> so then I basically had to stay at the bank so I can get the best health insurance to have the best surgery and the best physical therapy. And I spent the whole year at the bank. And then the following year, I went and tried out again and made the starting lineup again, and then tore my other ACL. <laughs> oh my God, get out of here. Yeah, no. So I was like, all right, universe, I'm listening. I'm listening. This sucks, but okay. Thank you. So I hung up my cleats. And then I was like, what's the next thing on my list was to make movies. Second thing was to make movies. And so I'd spent my summers in college working going to LA and like living at like whatever frat house at like UCLA and working in the film industry, reading scripts for, you know, film studios and things like that. So I really loved storytelling. So I wanted to go back into that. And so got a job at this production company and then very quickly realized I want to go freelance. I can't do this nine to five thing anymore. And so I went freelance and then started picking up trash on the streets for, you know, for sets and then driving directors around and, you know, just, telling everyone that I'm like, I should be producing like this is, you know, so very quickly, like I went from like, just being a PA to then producing commercial music videos in like four months. And at that point, you had left investment banking. I'd left investment banking. It was done. I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And, but my managing director treated me so well, Bill, he knew I just wasn't cut out for that. So he he let me have like 18 months of the best health insurance I can get because I had the second knee surgery. So I had to go through that whole thing again. So he helped me get the best health insurance to have to get through my second knee surgery. So I worked in the film industry for a while. And while I was working in the film industry was when I had my first business idea. It was when, you know, on sets of commercials and music videos, they have these like craft service tables with these like shitty tables where you would eat like all this M&Ms and Smarties and like cheese and the pigs in the blanket <laughs> and like peas, cheese pizza and just like shit. But, you know, because I had like student loan debt still, I was like, I'm just going to eat that for my breakfast, lunch, and dinner because it's free. I love, I love free, you know? And so, but I would go home every day, horrifying stomach aches. And I was like, man, like what is happening in my stomach right now? And it turns out all that processed shit I was eating, this is still back in early 2000s when organic, local, seasonal, farm to table wasn't a conversation. I remember every time I ate pizza specifically, I would come home with a bloated belly, gassy, farty, like just in pain. I started like just researching at home, like the pizza industry and food and realized that like the food industry is this like massive multi-billion dollars category that 
tons of processed shit. All the reason why people have allergies and these issues is because it was made with processed, sugar-filled, you know, antibiotic-filled, like bleached, like all the different preservatives in all the stuff or shelf life, you know, and it was causing all these issues for people. Yeah. Like so many people have GI issues and things like that now. And so it was like, hmm. I started looking at the pizza industry and I was like, oh my God, the pizza industry, the $32 billion industry. And Americans eat a hundred acres of pizza every single day. Like there's this huge opportunity here to like take this beloved food and turn it on its head. So anyways, cut to figured out how to raise money, figured out and my whole first book, Do Cool Shit, is about the whole experience of building my first business, which is my restaurant, Wild. And if Wild is still around, it's 18 years later. This is my 18th year in business. And as a restaurateur, my first business, it's still open with my epic partner, Wally. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So, you know, figured out how to raise money, figured out how to get a New York City lease, like a 15-year lease in New York City, like I mean, figured out how to like flyer 5,000 apartments around my neighborhood, figured out how to hire people, figured out how to like build a restaurant with like the duct piping going to the roof and like having to go and get my health department license. And like, just there is so much to figure out to start a business in New York City, let alone a restaurant. I was going to say, did anyone try to deter you from starting a restaurant? Like, I feel like it's interesting looking at your other businesses, Thinks and Tushy, like Maybe someone could look at those and say, oh, there's a lot of scale here. This is an exciting opportunity. Did anyone try to deter you? Like, oh, the food business is really hard. Well, unless you're a McDonald's or now a Sweetgreen or like a <laughs> Wendy's or a Burger 100%. King. So that was my dream. Like I'd start oh, one pizza shop. No one's making healthy, organic, gluten-free farm-to-table pizza. Like I can take this beloved comfort food, turn it on its head and use gluten-free flours and hormone-free cheese and local seasonal toppings and fresh organic ingredients. And like, no one was doing this back then, like nobody, not one person. Mm. And so it was like revolutionary at the time, but little old 24-year-old Mickey, 25, who when I opened it was like clueless about running a business. And so I just like made every mistake in the book in the restaurant business. And I'm shocked. I mean, the only reason why we're still open today is because of my partner, Wally, like bless his soul. He's like a restaurant operator because <laughs> I like barely kept the thing afloat for the first several years, but it's where I learned the chops of business. And I cannot, like my son is going to work in a restaurant, my restaurant or whatever in the back of the kitchen. And he's going to learn every job in the restaurant, like front of the house, hangry customers, Customers always write, even if they clearly gave you the wrong order and they're screaming at you because you ordered, you put this order they ordered and then they come back and you're like, I bring you the food you asked for. Like, I didn't order that. You're like, 
No, like literally like you ordered it. Like I swear you, but okay. Customer's always <laughs> right. Like I will get you what you need, but from like the mafioso, like, like health department coming in and finding you because you have a pizza sauce stain on your fucking apron. And you're like, that's what aprons are for is to like capture when you're fixing the sauce, a little bit of splash comes on your apron. I'm getting fined a thousand dollars for that. That is fucking like straight up mafioso shit. Same thing with like, you have a knife mark in your cutting board. And I'm like, that's what a cutting board is for. You want me to sand it down every time? Thousand dollar fine. Like shit like that. It's like, you name it. I've experienced it in the restaurant industry. Just everything from being stolen from by employees to getting bikes stolen to getting shut down by the New York health department for like a cutting board, not being like sharp, whatever, to like my pizza maker burning his eyebrows off because he turned the, you know, stuff like that anyways. And so I really got the business 101 humble pie, the whole humble pizza pie I ate in the restaurant industry, which then when I started Thinks and then Tushy Next, I, so much of the foundation of like learning what not to do, what I'm best at, what I suck at was then brought to the next. Although I ran into some other major challenges in the next business as well. But you know, we keep learning and growing. Yeah. Where would you say like your mentality comes from in terms of just going forward and just doing it? Because I feel a lot of people are sitting on an idea, a dream, but maybe they are working, have a job similar to investment banking or something like that, where it's steady pay, the benefits are good. And they're like, maybe they start to doubt themselves or doubt what's possible. Is it possible? I feel like with you, you, you just sort of go for it. So where does that come from? I think a hell of a lot of naivete, <laughs> like, oh yeah, like pff, how hard could that be? Like, can't be that hard. And then it's like, I'm drowning, help. So I think it's sort <laughs> of like a lot of maybe an unhealthy level of like, I, pff, how hard could that be? And then like diving into the deep end, just being like, I ain't leaving until I figure out how to swim. Because I think like, there's one thing to dive in, but there's another thing to stay. And I think a lot of people don't stay anymore. They don't want to work through things. They don't want to like, they don't want to do the hard work. They'd rather just float around and just kind of live surface versus like, fuck, like go through like gut punches and, and experience life and all the textures. And again, like every bit of life, like that to me is actually way more exciting than just being like, well, I guess I tried. Hey, huh? Is this what it didn't work out next? It's like, no, no, like I'm going to figure this out. And there's a point in which you're like, there is a point to pull the plug, but I also think that if it's an idea that's meant to exist, then you figure out how to put in the right people in place, how to, which for me was operations. What I learned from the restaurant business, which then led me to doing the exact same thing for Thanks and Tushy was when, as soon as I got an ops person for my restaurant, our numbers doubled in a week, our numbers tripled in a month. And I was like, <laughs> after seven years of slaving away, you know? And so then like, <laughs> like <laughs> drowning myself, you know? So then cut to when I started Thanks and then Tushy, it was like first hire operations, like first hire like ops for Toshi, a hundred percent. Yeah. And also learning like, how do you shift culture? How do you get someone to shift their behavior from eating like, you know, Joe's pizza to eating a healthy gluten-free farm to table pizza in New York city where everyone is snobs about their Joe's pizza, you know? And then like cut to things like period underwear, bleed in my underwear. That sounds like the most disgusting thing. Like I'm never going to bleed in my underwear. Meanwhile, I'm bleeding in them right now and it's the best. And then the third thing, Tushy, no one's going to wash their butts with water in America. What do you get? Poopy water spray everywhere? Disgusting. It's like, no, it's not poopy water spraying everywhere. It's fresh water, same water you brush your teeth with. It's 
pulling from the wall, not from their tank or the bowl. And it's precisely spraying, not in your butt, but on your butt, like you're showering, but like on your butt. And then it goes in and it cleans it like you would when you shower. Like, would you ever jump in your shower, not turn the water on and just use dry toilet paper and be like, I'm clean. Like, (laughs) no, you know, so, so it's just a lot of trial and error, a lot of education and yeah, just a lot of like, no, 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 I need this product. Like I want to eat pizza that doesn't give me stomach aches. I want to not have period accidents everywhere I go. I want to take a shit and not feel disgusting after I get off the toilet with poop smeared around with toilet paper. That doesn't make any sense actually, you know? And so it's sort of like, yeah, it's solving my own problem first. And then you say that that's how you think through like ideas worth pursuing. Oh, I'll get back to the thesis of how to change culture. But ideas worth pursuing is why I ask myself the three questions. This is in my book, Do Cool Shit. I ask myself three questions before starting any business. The first is what sucks in my world? It has to start with me, like a problem in my life. Because if it's not a sucky problem for me, like I wouldn't want to be hungry to like solve for it. The second question is, does it suck for a lot of people? Does it suck for a lot of people? If it just sucks for me, then I'm a diva and like whatever, you know, like it's not going to sell. So it has to suck for a lot of people. One in five Americans are gluten for, eat gluten-free. One in five Amer- like one in five Americans are lactose intolerant. I don't know. One in seven Americans have thyroid issues, which lead to bowel issues. Big percentage of Americans have IBS. A big percentage of Americans have problems with their gut. So huge, huge market. Everyone loves pizza, and so huge opportunity to offer this healthy comfort food and and have like a huge opportunity with things. Every single woman has a period. Market <laughs> with Tushy. Every single person has a butthole market, you know, and in America, like we're doing it wrong. We're killing 15 million trees to make toilet paper every single year. This is the Canadian boreal forest, the biggest carbon sink in the world that captures CO2. One of the biggest carbon sinks in the world is getting chopped down to wipe our asses with them. That doesn't even clean us properly and waste all of our money and waste our resources. It's just the brainwashing is so insane, actually. And so what sucks in my world is it suck for a lot of people. And the third question is, can I be passionate about this issue cause or community for a really long time? And so for me, can I be passionate about food? Rest of my life. Can I be passionate about women's issues? Rest of my life. Can I be passionate about cleanliness and like feeling confident and sexy and being fully clean head to toe? Yes. Rest of my life. So it was a clear, yes, like health and hygiene, women and food, like my wheelhouse. Love it. All makes sense. And those are three great bits of gold to think through ideas worth pursuing. I think one of the things that your brands do remarkably well is how they market, the way that your brands communicate to potential customers. Like I know with Tushy, you guys have so many creative ads that are kind of push the boundaries, I would say. Like not really, but I don't know, you probably would explain it differently. I think one of the things that your brands do so well is just the way that you think about marketing is just very unique, I think, as opposed to other brands who are just like, oh, we're going to create a bidet and put it up on Amazon or put it up on our website. And I know that since you've launched Tushy, there have been like so many knockoffs or other brands that have come about. But I'm curious to discuss a little bit how you think about marketing with your brands. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's sort of like there's inbound, right? There's inbound marketing and there's outbound marketing. There's direct response. There's like, I think about it pretty much like we are just trying to get as many people to look at our brand and see it. And then we can take people down the funnel, down the marketing funnel pretty quickly. Inbound marketing is what, we, what I think we thrive in, which is basically creating enough of a ruckus 
that people want to be like, where, who are these people? What are they doing? Versus like outbound is like a lot of paid, like we have to spend to get the eyeballs. Whereas inbound is like really creating a lot of ruckus, doing stunts and weird things and creating a lot of PR and a lot of cool brand activations, which then gets people to come and check out our website. And once they come to our website, we can then bring them down the funnel and sell them. So I think like we have an incredible marketing team at Tushy that can get people down to the, down the funnel. And our creative team is what really stuffs people into the top of the funnel with all these creative ideas. I mean, I don't know if you just saw our Bellagio fountain shoot where we basically turned like the Bellagio, Bellagio fountain Vegas, you know, there's like the fountain show in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So we basically took like, a, you know, a bunch of toilets and I had my rigging friend rig up 10 toilets to basically play the bidets like Beethoven's ninth, the fifth symphony, you know, in real time. <laughs> Things like that, where we're just doing, we did a, a big event called ButtCon, where it's like everything butt related. We had like a funeral for a tree where we literally rented an actual funeral, the biggest memorial church in all of New York City and held an actual funeral for a dead tree. We've done like VP of Fecal Matters, like search, job search, which got like billions of impressions where we were giving somebody $10,000 over COVID for three months just to take a shit and document their poop. And basically like, so we had like tons and tons of press that way. We've just done like, we basically like option to name the new Buffalo Bills Stadium, the Tushy Stadium, and send to like an actual letter to the Buffalo Bills team to be like, we would like it to be called Tushy Stadium. And we would like to create the first toilet bowl event. And then we basically created like the first super bowel movement, like show, like where instead of being super bowl, we created a whole super bowel thing. And like, just like that kind of shit that like, we just come up with over and over. Our whole team is just like full of funny creatives who can do like poop puns all day, you know? Yeah. I feel like one of the things that's also interesting about your brands is the authenticity behind them. I feel like when you're on the site or when you're looking at like any of the verbiage, like it feels very relatable. And I feel like even it's interesting too. I know on your Instagram, you posted a lot of different things around going about living your life in a very authentic and real way, which I feel like, unfortunately, not the norm or I feel like everyone's sort of flaunting there as it relates to Instagram or even brands. It's like you try to sort of button up and on Instagram, you try to flex whatever life you're trying to show on. Not you, I'm I'm speaking very broadly here, but a lot of brands, they try to have their brand voice. And I feel like with like Tushy, especially just like speaking to someone who wants a better way to, to clean themselves up after they take a shit. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's it. Like, I think we, authenticity is what everybody wants. Like not even just in business or as a brand, but in life. Like, do you like someone who's like all buttoned up? Like, hello, nice to meet you. I'm that. And you're just like, oh my God, kill me. Versus like someone who's just real. And it's like, oh my God, this is what I'm going through right now. Like the fact that, that within the first two seconds, like you shared something really personal and heartfelt. I feel like I, as a result, have opened up a lot more because you shared something that's really personal and really hard for you, you know, and that's authentic. It's real. It's true. And like, I feel as a result closer to you because of that. So similarly, when it comes Mm. to a brand, it's no different. It's people looking at a brand. Why must I now speak buttoned up and speak fake to people who are just like me and you again? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me where people are like brand voice, like what's my brand thing versus like, no, 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 I want to hire really funny, cool people. And I'm going to pick those people and I'm going to empower you to be the voice of my social media, for example. And I want you to be as you as you can be. Like, don't even censor yourself in any way, shape or form, because that I will dislike any type of 
you trying to be something you're not. The more you, the more I celebrate you, the more like it'll actually feel authentic, which is what anyone ever wants anyways, in everyone, in every relationship. I actually don't understand why brands are still trying to be anything but authentic. It makes complete sense. So I want to talk about Tushy really quickly. I was actually with my family over the weekend and we all started talking about bathroom habits and what people do in the bathroom. And one of my family members said, I have to go into the shower after I take a shit. And I'll get to the other family member in a second. But I'm curious. So I told him you need a Tushy bidet. That would solve his problem. Is showering after taking a shit, is that like a very common thing or is that something? Uh, yeah, I did that after every shit before I installed my tushy because it's... He's going to be so happy hearing that. He's going to feel so no, much no, more normal I mean, like, <laughs> So many people, like literally, this is what they do in India. They actually take a bucket of water and they just splash their butt like they're taking a shower, but it's a small shower, but for their butt, you know? So like people jump in the shower yeah. to wash themselves off because they want to be clean. Otherwise, you're literally smearing poop around with a piece of dry paper the analogy we give beyond like if you jumped in your shower would you just use dry paper no you'd use water but also like if a bird shit on your arm <laughs> would you like take a piece of dry paper or just smear it around being like i'm clean my arm's clean no you'd wash it off like it's no, just like it's so it feels so done obvious and yet people when we've been indoctrinated in certain things like change is difficult for a lot of people which is why i think humor actually like takes people's guard down. Authenticity takes people's guard down. Art and creativity takes people's guard down and having a best in class product takes people's guards down. And so like for me, like the way I talk about the three pronged thesis of changing culture and like how do you shift culture through a product? One is best in class product. Two is considered artful design across every touch point of a brand. And the three is accessible, relatable language, like the authentic, relatable language that we were just talking about. There's those three prongs mm. that actually shift culture and actually get people to try something new. And I think like it's worked for my restaurant Wild, it's worked for Thinks, and it's worked for Tushy. Like the, the, prong, the thesis works. That one makes complete sense. Let's go to the next one. Then another family member said, every time they go to the bathroom, they have to take their shirt off. And they said that's the only way that they have full range of mobility in the bathroom. Have you heard that? Is that a common thing that you've heard at the founder of Tushy? No, but I love that for them. I think that's great. <laughs> it does feel like it makes sense because it's like, then you can feel like you're also not getting poop. Like you're just kind of clean. It's almost like, you know, it makes sense. I'm not, there's no shame in that. I love that. So I didn't know if that was something that you guys have heard a lot at Tushy. And then I started, this is at like 1am and I started Googling and I, I found that there's a lot of like uh, on all these forums, people saying, oh, yeah, I take off all my clothes every time I go to the bathroom. And anyways, it was very interesting to read. But um, I think that's a that makes a lot of sense because otherwise it's like kind of gross. <laughs> and then like that morning, I tried it out and it wasn't a life changing experience, but I did try it out. <laughs> <laughs> but with a tushy, it will be for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mentioned we have um, I have a short term rental and in every bathroom, there's there's a touchy in every single bathroom. I can send you a sign on how do people can use, how to use it. Maybe that could be helpful. That would be yeah. fun. Would love that. So we can start to wrap up the show. Obviously, built some incredible businesses. I'd be very curious to get your thoughts around how you personally define success in in your own life. Yeah, I mean, of course, it changes right with chapters. It depends on what chapter we are in our life. I think in my twenties, it was like I was very much in my proving twenties and thirties. I was in like my proveaholic days of just like success is like one of the only kind of metrics of success is financial, 
right? So it was like, oh, like being financially solvent is a metric of success. So just like financial freedom was the first piece. Then the, my metric of success became time, like freedom of time where I can schedule my life in the way that makes most sense to me. Now it's just like truly, you know, success is just feeling aliveness in all that I'm doing, you know, like feeling really creative and, and listening to my body and allowing for space if I need it and allowing for like, let's fucking go in for however long it takes for this next thing. Like I just, for example, I'm just super into music now and I started making music. I've written 15 songs and um, I've already produced, co-produced four of them. It's just been such a fun, deep dive into a whole new world. Like to me, success is being able to just pursue that which lights me up. I love that. I'm going to include in my show notes, like all your links, but what links do you want people to go to or where can people find you, follow Instagram you? Instagram is at Mickey Agrawal as kind of where I check most of my stuff. And then Twitter, I mean, I just have my girl, my, my assistant just posts a bunch of my quotes from my book to Twitter. So you can follow me on at, at Twin Mickey on Twitter, but it's all like my original quotes. But I'm not really like active on Twitter, to be honest. I just, she just kind of posts some stuff for, on my behalf. If you want to check out all my projects, you can just go to MickeyAgrawal.com. And then most importantly, get a Tushy Bidet. It'll change your life. And I'm not just saying that because it's my product, but it's actually like, it has changed my life. And I, our million customers will say the same thing. It has truly changed my life. It's like, there's life before Tushy, life after Tushy. And like, I can't imagine going back. It's just, it's like a barbaric world. Love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. All the links for this episode can be found in the show notes. Your challenge for this week is to write down three things you want to manifest in your life. I want you to think back to Mickey's story. She was living this life, going to work every day, going to this job as an investment banker, and she hated it. She was miserable. And then one moment, she decided to wake up. She decided she needed to make change in her life. She took out a pen and paper and wrote down three things she wanted in her own life and just tackled them one by one. My challenge for you this week is to do the same. Take out a pen and paper. Write down three things you really want in your life. Once you have those three things, sign it, date it, and put it on your wall. I want this to be a reminder of the things you really want to make happen in your life. This practice of writing it down is the art of becoming more intentional. It's the art of creating self-awareness to determine what it is you want in your life. I want to hear from you. Let me know how it goes. Shoot me a message on Instagram at Dan Lev Goldberg or at the Bits of Gold podcast to let me know what things you are working on, what things you want to manifest in your own life, what changes you want to make in your own life. Finally, if you like this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, I'll likely give you a shout out on an upcoming show or one of our social media feeds. That is all for today. Thank you for living with purpose today and every day, and I'll see you next time. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 